0: Folks, by accident or on purpose, you have found Lords of Order, a DC Doctor Fate fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore. This is episode 31. This is a spoiler podcast, uh, perhaps not a huge deal for this particular issue that I'm talking about today, but every other issue is a current issue, so it may become more of an issue at that point. Boy, that's, that's a lot of issues, isn't it? Well... Anyways, if you want to get in touch, you can do so via the Lords of Order Facebook and Google Plus pages. BigtimeNoise.com slash Doctor Fate is the website, and the podcast is part of the Comic Book Noise Network, which in turn is part of the Deliberate Noise Network. If you choose to use email, you can send that to the Doctor Fate Fan Podcast at gmail.com. The book. This episode, and actually just a portion of the book uh, for this episode, and and I'll get into that here in a second, is All-Star Comics, Volume 1, Issue 3, the winter 1940-1941 issue of All-Star Comics. Now, those of you that know your comic books will know that that is a rather... Uh, uh, famous, I guess would be the word, uh, infamous, however you want to look at it, issue, as that is the first appearance of the Justice Society of America, which I believe is typically thought of as the first superhero group. And more to our interest, hopefully our interest, certainly my interest, is that one of the members of that group is going to turn out to be the Golden Age Spectre. Now, the cover is a rather iconic cover. You have the eight, or not the eight, but eight of the members of the Justice Society of America seated around a circular table on which is inscribed Justice Society of America, probably the first time that that moniker has been used. And from left around the table to right is the Adam. These are all Golden Age. Adam, Sandman, Spectre, Flash, Hawkman, Dr. Fate, the topic of our podcast, Green Lantern, and Our Man. So those are the characters in this book, minus one, Uh, actually minus two, I'm sorry. The Golden Age Red Tornado, Ma Hunkle, makes a cameo. Johnny Thunder uh, is more than a cameo, but not substantial. His Thunderbolt does make a cameo. Superman. And Batman and Robin are mentioned, but are not here. So, uh, the assumption would be that certainly Johnny Thunder is a member of the Justice Society of America. The Golden Age Red Tornado makes an appearance. Uh, You could say that she probably is a member. Batman and Robin and Superman, though, are name-dropped, so apparently they were members also. Uh, But they did not appear because, uh, I would imagine, because they were fairly successful in their own books and they didn't want to bring them over into this book and quote-unquote dilute the fan base by having uh, too many. Although, looking at the books that are out at this time, Batman and Robin have two and Superman have two books that they're regularly making appearances in as well uh, as as our characters. Now, the setup is that uh, um, a meeting has been called And, okay, his name completely skipped my mind there for a minute. Johnny Thunder uh, is kind of upset because he wasn't invited to the meeting. And he drops his magic words, say you, or in this case, uh, C-E-I-dash-U, which is pronounced say you. And his thunderbolt starts making his wishes come true. And, of course, his first wish in that he was upset at not being invited to the justice society meeting was that he wished he could be at the justice society meeting so poof he goes along the way and once there he meets all of the individual members that are pictured on the cover and we have the name dropping of batman and robin and superman who are not there but apparently are also members those in attendance have a, a dinner And then they sit down, and at the prompting of Johnny Thunder, each character tells one of their uh, greatest cases, their greatest hits, as you were. And as we go through the stories, the scripting, penciling, perhaps inking, uh, most often in these golden age books, these early golden age books, inkers are not known, uh, perhaps it's the penciler. Uh, it's it's hard to say. But scripting pencils and letters are handled for each of the individual hero's tale in this book by the same creators that are chronicling those same heroes' exploits in their own books, as it were. And their own books include um, action comics, more fun comics... Flash comics, All American comics, Adventure comics, and then Batman is in Detective and Batman, and Superman is showing up in Superman in Action. So those are all the individual titles, although I think a lot of those still are anthology titles. So those creators handle the characters, their characters' exploits in this book as we hop. Uh, across, and each character has his own story. This book is 63-ish, not counting ads, pages, so each of the ten characters has six to eight pages for story. Uh, our story involves Dr. Fate. We open with Inza uh, stopping at a secluded bookstore in In the bookstore and antique shop section of the city. Now, the city I take to be Salem because when she goes a little bit later on to uh, get the help of Dr. Fate, she is outside the city in the foothills because that's where Dr. Fate's tower is. So, uh, my assumption is that the city is going to be Salem. Salem. I don't know, Massachusetts. Is Salem a stand in for another city? I'm, I'm not really clear on that at this point. And, and I don't necessarily want to go digging everything out right now. I'd kind of like to find things out as I'm going along, as if I were reading these for the first time. It kind of adds to the, the cool factor of discovering these things. I mean, personally, I've read Dr. Fate on and off for, you know, 30 years. So a lot of his backstory I have, but I don't have everything. I certainly have not done a chronological reading prior to the podcast, as I am doing for the podcast. Anyway, Inza is at a bookstore, and she's looking around, and she sees a lamp in the window that she likes. Uh, so she goes in and asks the shopkeeper to see the lamp, and as, as he is explaining to her uh, the, the aspects of the lamp, our narrator tells us that a very beautiful woman... Uh, Stands uh, comes up beside her and and startles her, Inza says. Oh, you startled me. And this woman, dressed in a purplish dress with a purplish veil and beads around her wrist and a big necklace on, vaguely reminiscent of perhaps a a kind of a a take on a gypsy character, perhaps. That was kind of my, my thoughts when I saw her. She is directing Inza's uh, attention to a box, uh, uh, an old box over here, and the woman proceeds to tell Inza a story. She says, It came from Samothrace, home of the ancient mysteries. It brings its owner rare fortune. And Inza is impressed. She says, It is old. I can see that at a glance. It'll make a nice ornament. I'll take it. And so when the shopkeeper comes back to her with the lamp uh, that she was initially interested in. She says, "Uh, no, no, poo-poo, not the lamp anymore, this box, this box is what I want. And so afterwards as she's home um, starting her cursory inspection of the box, as uh, folks that are about to get in danger often do, she's remembering that the shopkeeper seemed very Uh, interested in getting rid of the box and in helping Inza buy it, almost like he certainly wanted to get rid of it or was maybe almost scared of it and was trying to to ditch it on her because he didn't take any money for it. So basically he gave it to her for free Uh, and he had a sure sale with that lamp, but instead of pressing that, he just gave her the box and helped her out the door. So Inza's looking at the box, opens it, and she notices that dust comes... Up. But no, it's sort of a mist, making me drowsy. I, oh, And she falls asleep. So here we go. Here's the damsel in distress to push the story along, which causes so much consternation among current uh, free-thinking, shall we say, comic book fans of today. As she's sleeping, the dreams the same woman that she saw at the store is in her apartment, telling her that you and the world are in deadly danger. Go to this Dr. Fate. Bring him to the moors along the coast. Inza wakes, sets off for the Tower of Fate to get Dr. Fate, screaming and yelling at the tower. Uh, Dr. Fate pulls one of his little magical let-me-see-what's-going-on-outside tricks because the tower has no discernible entrances or exits, doors, windows, nothing of that sort. It's just a uh, stone-block phallic structure uh, in, the, in the hills outside of Salem. So he sees that it's Enza crying. He, he uh, walks through the wall to uh, ask her what's going on, and she tells him, so, in going to the Moors, as he was mysteriously beseeched, he decides that it's in everyone's best interest to take Inza with him, of course, as he goes to battle the bad guys. I've never understood this about Dr. Fate. You know, he's concerned about the innocents, uh, except for Inza, and he doesn't seem to care in the same way about her. He, he cares about her because he wants her to enjoy all the adventures that he has, even though she has absolutely no powers. Uh, curious style of love there, I think. But they go. He wraps her in his, uh, what do they call it, Invo- cloak of force, excuse me, and uses it to fly to the moors. Uh, the moors, for those of you that may not know, it's a particular type of land feature. Associated in my mind with the British Isles, uh, Ireland and Scotland, uh, to be even more precise i'm kind of surprised that Salem, being in America wherever it may be, has moors also. I guess that's possible. I would have to specifically look to see what the exacts of moors are to see if anything in the uh, Ameri- uh, in the North America qualifies. I usually picture damp. Uh, the, the plant heather comes to mind, short shrubs, flowery, very moist, either because it's a marshy, boggy kind of place or because it's in an area that has lots of rainfall. Those are all images in my mind when I think of moors. Now, again, I'm not a geographer by training. Well, actually, I I take that back. I am a geographer by training, but I don't know, uh, land formations and, and where and why they occur specifically. Perhaps once upon a time, I know, but it's not coming to mind currently. Back to Dr. Fate here. He lands in the Moors with Enza, of course, and they are immediately attacked by phantoms risen from their graves by sorcery of the vilest kinds. Now, that's Dr. Fate. It's not our narrator. So, obviously, he recognizes these as um, zombies, maybe, or um, some sort of necromantic constructs, I guess. Uh, they, They have uh solid uh they're 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 tactile, you know, they're not ghosts or anything like that. So they're they're fighting Doctor Fate, and he finds apparently that his powers, his mystical powers have no effect. So he he uh, reverts to his hand to hand training, which seems sufficient as he drives them off of him, drives them away enough to gather Inza up and fly off again. As they're flying off they look to see. I guess in fear, what they have escaped, and they see that all of these um, phantoms that were attacking them are gone. There's nothing on land in the moors uh, beneath them anymore. So at this point, he flies Inza to her apartment to leave her, first of all, but also to better inspect this box. And he looks it over, and he discerns that Shivergris, It was sealed in here. When you opened it, the drug made you a victim of the sorcerer who seeks to destroy us. Now, when she first appeared to Fate, he made mention that he liked her perfume. It reminded him of this substance, chevagris, and he gave a brief what the heck it is. Uh, Unfortunately, I left that out when I was at that portion of the story. Sorry. But here, we're caught up. So he decides that... uh, she, she asks, well, why would someone you know want to involve you? And Fate says, well, because he knows I am the only one alive on the planet that has the knowledge that can defeat him. So obviously he must get me out of the way. Uh, yeah, humble brag, perhaps, I don't know. But he decides that um, he is going to seek out this person and as he's kind of making up his mind to leave he gets pulled back his attention towards Inza because she uh has has a vapors attack and and passes out and starts having uh if if not bad dreams and she starts having some kind of I'm being controlled by another vision or you know maybe some kind of combination so to help her using some uh lightning bolty beams from his, his uh, the, the eye opening of his helmet. He zaps her in the eyeballs and puts her into a deep sleep. Deep enough that whatever these magics or phantoms are, whatever that's trying to get into her head, can't. Um, he leaves her in that state and then goes to the beginnings of our story which would be the antique shop where Inza says she found the box and he goes and he finds the shop deserted he's inspecting it inside and as he is he sees an entity from the seabeds of the Nile truly this man is a mighty sorcerer and it looks like a big squid but not as detailed a head the head just kind of looks like a blob but it does have the octopus or or squid like arms Again, he tries his lords of order hocus pocus on it, and it doesn 't have any effect and He determines that he can use his brain uh, concentrate my brain on the entity, and it quickly disappears uh, kind of a jump from one to the other I think and because they're are subsequent panels, but uh, again, I guess you have to kind of move things on here because you 've got you know all these heroes each with their own individual story in the book. But he uh, realizes that that dissipates the creature and starts just flying around he he, um, he he has no direction at this point he just defeated this creature and it didn't give him any information other than he knows that his magic doesn't work that he has to use the power of the mind, which uh, is is that. Telekinetics or pyrokinetic—you know what exactly is that? Uh, they don't go into too much detail, I guess. If you want mind power detail, you've got to read the uh, Silver Age X-Men and Professor X, and because he's like you know the master of all that stuff. So Doctor Fate's flying around, and he and he sees a. a it, it said that, or actually, Doctor Fate is narrating. He says, "Then I saw what would be." visible only to me a radiance of power used by a great wizard Uh, so he just happened on the light displays of a great wizard no idea if this wizard is connected but he's going to go investigate so he goes down to the uh, house that is is, and he he sees that there are talismans uh, human bones all types of fetishes and charms he says yes this is indeed a sorcerer's home And then he goes into another room and he sees the sorcerer and Dr. Fate immediately says, it took me a while, but I found you. Now, did he find the sorcerer of the home or the sorcerer that is responsible for everything? The way the story proceeds, it's the big sorcerer. Uh, Again, no necessarily indication what told him that, but he found him. So the sorcerer erects a screen, a force screen to keep he and Dr. Fate separated. And then on Dr. Fate's side of the room, his side of the screen, the sorcerer starts conjuring these different things to try to defeat Dr. Fate. First, he conjures a uh, herd, it looks like, of unicorns, which then are are gone. Uh, we don't see, and Dr. Fate doesn't say what he did to them. Next, we see the three witches of Endor, who from their cauldron of, of of goo are f- using the smoke coming off the goo and shaping the smoke into arrows and, and driving the arrows at Dr. Fate. Well, he escapes them and in in escaping them, he, he feigns uh, falling, you know, perhaps or being injured. And uh, like a, a sucker, the uh, evil sorcerer drops his magic screen of, of force to do the final dispatch of Dr. Fate hand-to-hand himself. So he leaves himself unprotected, this enemy sorcerer does. Dr. Fate attacks and then remembers just as he attacks that the magics probably won't have any uh, any effect, so he does the hand-to-hand thing too, and he flips this evil sorcerer across the room in such a manner that the evil sorcerer, though, breaks his neck. And as the sorcerer is dying he tells Dr. Fate basically what has occurred. He says, I caused Inza to see an antique shop where there was only an empty store. I caused her to see the Egyptian princess twice. I thought if I could defeat you, I'd be invincible. And then Dr. Fate does finally get to use his magic. He zaps this sorcerer with... uh, looks like flames from his hand, but just short of the sorcerer, the flames stop in this huge smoke cloud is, is at the final apex of this energy emission. Dr. Fate says, lest you reincarnate at a later age, when I be not here, I dissolve you ad infinitum. Uh, doesn't sound like a very pleasant way to end your journey, but he did it to the sorcerer. And we've seen Dr. Fate before. When he dispatches justice, he does so with a pretty significant finality, Uh, as does a lot of these guys. The Spectre is another one who just, you know, he, he has no bones about you're bad and you're gone. And that's the end of it. Dr. Fate is much that same way, particularly in these early appearances. Uh, And for those of you that may not know, in his initial appearances, Batman wielded a gun and shot bad guys, too. So, very different time. Very different uh, uh, idiosyncrasies in the writing. Dr. Fate goes back to Inza's apartment, sees that she's awake. He tells her, explains to her, you know, what has happened both to her and in her absence that he defeated the evil foe once and for all. And with that, he leaves Inza, uh, who happens to live in the top or perhaps penthouse apartment of her building, because he's always on the roof when he leaves her, and she's always there with some sort of living dwelling place like behind her. So she has the money, apparently, the means uh, to live at the very top of of this building in, again, uh, Salem, perhaps. And that finishes Dr. Fate's tale. Uh, of the many tales that are told during the final tale, or not during, but but between the penultimate and the final tale, a messenger comes in to the Justice Society's meeting, hands over a communique from the FBI, Uh, in Washington. He wants to know if a representative of the Justice Society can come down there and discuss something of vital importance. All the members voice, uh, vote, and elect the Flash to go because he can go and come back uh, probably before their meeting is even over. And so the Flash flash leaves. We have one more tale. Uh, It turns out to be Green Lanterns. And the Flash is back. And he tells them that the fbi wanted to meet let's see he wants all of us members of the justice excuse me justice society to come down and see him all together i told him i thought next tuesday night would be okay is that all right can you all make it and they all say things like suits me fine sure and that's swell interesting way to speak for these heroes but there you have it and they you know discuss back and forth with what's going on and what's going to happen and everything like that. And then pretty much they call the meeting after that. So there is the first appearance of Dr. Fate as a member of the Justice Society of America, albeit um, individual stories in this very first meeting, I guess perhaps to give the reader an opportunity to learn a little bit about each of the characters before they throw all of the characters in. Um and I've read some Golden Age team books like this and I believe that what happens is the story will usually be broken up into segments and uh, you see everybody together at the beginning and then the team is broken up into groups or perhaps individual parts of the mission and then they all come back together uh, at the end for the denouement and that is the style rather than having 8 or 10 characters flow throughout the book as we do nowadays so that is more than likely the style that we're going to see. Now, a couple uh, Facebook-like thank yous that I, I want to get out there to everybody. I want to thank Eric Wilkerson-Gillard, Sean Vincent Harley, Damien Noir, Chuck Othett, Kenneth Ray Young, and Scott Adams this episode. Now, I have more stocked up, and I will hand those out in Excessive episodes. I just don't want to go through all of them today because of how long it is. Next up uh, is All Star Comics 4. I think I've kind of decided that I'm not going to finish the Earth 2 tale because it doesn't really end, and then we have this weekly Earth 2 that was 26 or 28 issues long leading into the Convergence storyline, where the heroes of Earth 2 are the the crux of it, minus Dr. Fate, I will add. And we have seen, and I haven't read yet, the preview, the 10 or 12 page preview book for the new Dr. Fate that is coming out this summer. But when it does start coming out, I will slip that into uh, episode coverage as well, as these appearances that I'm doing chronologically so we have All-Star Comics issue 2 up next time that will be spring 1941 if I'm uh, if I'm correct thanks a lot for hanging in there during our month or so of quietude hopefully I'll get back on a probably weekly schedule with these releases so there'll be something to keep you guys busy for a half hour or so for the next little bit ciao Lords of Order is a teal production, and as such is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, non-derivative, 3.0 unported license.